I'm Sue Brain, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to this second series of Embracing Your Mortality. I have a fantastic lineup of guests, all of whom are speaking from their hearts about what it means to them to be living more consciously for a better world. Some are deeply involved with building community and working with environmental issues. There's just this infinite source of peace and clarity and optimism around us. Some speak about death and dying. I can only see that it can help us to be more in contact with life when we're also able to talk about death. Others are holistic doctors and healers. One is involved in helping children to understand their feelings. When you are kind and loving to yourself is when you are most able to be a benefit to other people. And another is championing women in business. And I'm most grateful to Colin Gilbert's family who've given their permission to publish his interview about dying, which I did with him shortly before his death. I feel as if the engine of my life, somebody's taken the nuts off while they're holding down belts. And it's a bit of a rough ride I'm in now. If you haven't already, don't forget to listen to the first series of Embracing Your Mortality podcasts. Links to my guests in both series can be found on my website, suebrain.co.uk. Even though we're going through really challenging times, I hope all these conversations from both series inspire you to embrace your mortality so you too can live more consciously for a better world. It's been quite a journey for Pete Lawrence from the days of cooking vinyl and creating the Big Chill Music Festival in the 90s to igniting the sparks for Campfire Convention. Pete doesn't particularly like the word activist, but to my mind, he's one of the great social movers and shakers of our time. He set up Campfire Convention in 2016 to bring music, nature and people together in community, both online and in real life, with a focus on what it means to give back to each other, to our communities and to the planet. As you say, it's a long journey from the days of the big chill and before that, cooking vinyl, which was my first foray into self-employment, so thanks to Margaret Thatcher's Enterprise Allowance Scheme, believe it or not, where I had about £10.70 a week put my way. And it freed me up from having to go and get a day job or a, a zero-hours contract job. And um, that was my first um, launch into self-employment. And um, I suppose I've always had ideas above my station, you know, grand visions, whatever you want to call them. And I've always managed to make them happen on a shoestring or through community engagement, really. So that's been the common factor, really, has been bringing people together, I think, mm. throughout all this. So what were you doing before you got this fantastic grant of £10 a week? It was very much a music biz apprenticeship. So um, graduated from Reading University and straight to third in sociology. And then um, started working in record retail in Reading, where I was based at the time for our price records, which gave me an incredible musical education and taught me a few things about interfacing with people, I guess. And I was managing the shop there and in Oxford and Basingstoke. And then I, I worked for a record distributor called Making Waves. And that took me into this amazing journey into non-mainstream music, you know, everything from bluegrass to country to English folk through to electronica 
uh, everything that was outside the pop mainstream, really. And I think I built up enough contacts within my three years there to set up my own record label, which was Cooking Vinyl in the late 80s. Um, and that was sort of on a mission, I suppose, to make folk music, which was about the uncoolest thing you could possibly imagine at the time, into something vaguely hip and cool. And I, I think we achieved that, really. I mean, there was we had a whole issue of the NME, New Musical Express, devoted to folk and world music, which I sort of co-curated, I guess, with Terry Staunton, who was the news editor at the time. And that was a massive um, highlight for me was having a whole issue of the NME devoted to that music, which two years previously had been completely uncool. I, I sort of sense, and I think this has happened for all of us, particularly of a certain age, <laughs> that almost like our entire life has been a preparation for this moment. It very much feels like that. I suppose it's very much about just having a belief in, in your ideas and the way you relate to people around you and um, hoping that sense of enthusiasm you can build around the projects you're involved in um, works on a level that can just take it into places that you never imagined would, would happen. So for me, it's a big, it's an experiment and it's a journey. And I, I do feel like I'm living everything in the moment more than ever, that any financial planning or spreadsheets just go out the window, really. You can whack a load of figures in there, but they mean nothing. So it's very new paradigm in the sense that it's um, it's exploring the now and where we can go and the energy that's created by the people around us. And as I say, I've done all my three main projects have been done without any funding, really. So I just see what the energy is like and where we can go with it. And I suppose I've been fortunate that the Big Chill in particular created a lot of value which enabled me to um, to not have to get a day job after I left which was um, some 13 years or so ago now so um, since then it's been very much looking at how we can revisit the whole idea of social networking and I had similar ideas for giving people space online but also always combining that with real life face-to-face -face events um, back before Facebook I guess but we were slow to move on it at the time or we just didn't have the time or the, the vision I suppose to translate that during big chill years so since I've left then um, Campfire has been very much about exploring how we can social network in a different way that doesn't base itself around algorithms or mine your data or sell you advertising so it's getting away from it's post-capitalism really I guess in the sense it's looking for new models which are much more community-based rather than the traditional top-down structures. It seems to me that this is something that we need this sense of the old paradigm of what doesn't, you know, the, the, basically the world that we know it is just crumbling. And I just sense that Campfire is a, is a sort of platform where people can come and explore in the moment what they're experiencing. Very much um, like to make the point that our software is still not quite ready for becoming an act, a very active online um, gathering point. We're, we're about to make the upgrade and it's proving quite challenging for various reasons particularly when you're um, you're depending on volunteers really to create every aspect of the campfire community so we've got an idea for what we're calling the karma scheme so to actually repay in karma or maybe even in an actual monetary surplus share um, people's engagement on the site so that's what we're working towards and really focusing all our intentions on 
a community that can actually pay back to its members in, in, in every sense. So it's not just, you don't come to Campfire thinking, what can I get from this? Or what does it cost? What's, what does the subscription give me? It's more about what we can all build together. So it is very much an act of co-creation. And um, the World Harmony event we're doing over summer solstice this year is very much about co-creation. And that's been incredibly spontaneous, particularly as we haven't been able to meet a lot of the key players and the guy who's doing the tech, I've, I've never actually met him, and he just popped up online <laughs> through a friend of a friend. It's just been amazing to see how it, it comes together organically. People will be reevaluating um, how they can make a living, or, or what they're what they feel drawn to actually to, to do and participate. Um, we are in service, effectively, and that chimes very much with. What I felt about what I'm doing from day one, really, it, it all comes down to being in service to to the planet and community, and that has to be the overriding factor, really, for ways of making a living now. Because, as you say, the, the old structures are crumbling, and we need to be stewards of this amazing planet we're on, and really take care of it. Talking to so many people who saying, um, "I do not want to go back to life as it was." <laughs> Lots of us have a vision of this utopia that we want to live in, but we have to get from, well, we're in massive transition, but we don't even know what that means. And I just wondered what your vision of it, what is that for you? I think we have to be very um, mindful of, of the language and the imagery we create. So in a way, we can dream stuff into being. It's all about just coming up with concepts that people can grasp. So with our karma scheme, for instance, it is about a scheme that can pay back to people. It's about um, just finding new language and new new models, new frameworks that you can you can hang your ideas and your concepts on. So, yeah, I think it has to revolve around looking after the planet and really being cautious about what we're doing in every respect. And and the ethos and the ethics of everything we're doing has to has to come first really. so there's a, a big shift and a lot of people are waking up to new ways of doing things what does this waking up mean to you it's an awareness of the repercussions of all our actions really so it's, it's an awareness that we are part of nature nature isn't a separate thing that's out there it's it's also about moving away from service to self to service towards the planet it's it's just a realignment um, that's going on I think for a lot of people and it's it's happening in various different ways I'm anxious for the planet obviously and I'm anxious for us as a species we can't stop the climate change it's not possible to do that so how do we go with that how do we flow with that well deep adaptation I guess and being aware of, of all those things that can flow from that but I think reorganisation of of our ambitions and our parameters, really, and habits have to change. It's become almost um, standard that people expect to holiday abroad once a year or to travel to business meetings. All that has to change. Um, there's a massive economic crash coming, so the real pandemic will come flowing through from that, and people are a lot of people just haven't begun to take that on board. Myself, I'm just beginning to take take on board the potential repercussions of that, but it's going to be very much about a sort of localism that's based in community. I think we just have to do our bit 
as far as we're capable with the time we've got and wherever the energy and enthusiasm feels like it's coming from. Mm. If that can be focused into, into community, then all sorts of magic can occur. Mm. I do get a sense that this is a real grassroots up revolution, definitely coming from the bottom up. And, and everything's up for grabs. Things are certainly moving in parallel. Lots of communities doing good work that I notice every day, new people. So it's how do we, how do we harness the information? How do we connect people? Mm. One of the things Campfire would like to do as soon as we've done our own software upgrade is um, what we're calling the Campfire ecosystem of just connecting different communities that are doing good work, offering them our own software as a solution for community networking but somehow making those connections in a visual design so people can see one community, perhaps even as a universe, um, where you click into another planet and you see a different community that's just outside your own and Mm. have a shiftable map that's a a three-dimensional example of how communities can interrelate. I mean, this is going to be very interesting for the politicians to deal with. It's a bit, it sort of reminds me on, on a very, very small scale, you know, of the car boot a revolution when everybody started blocking stuff out the back of their car. And then the, the, the government were going, excuse me, <laughs> I want you to tax you. You know, and it feels a little bit like that that's going on, but on this massive scale. And I'm just really curious how it's sort of just going to lift and lift and lift and then bingo, you know. Yeah, already Westminster is effectively closed and the virus is going to keep a lot of those um, institutions closed. And are there going to be bureaucrats to run all these things and to chase you up over your parking tickets or whatever? I think it all points back to self-organisation, really, and people stepping into their own power. It's all about um, finding ways of empowering people so they're, they're not taking advantage, but they're acting, as I say, acting in service. But it's small steps for some and big leaps for others. So, It feels to me like we've had to have this because to, to tell somebody, you know, you can't run a car, <laughs> you know, before COVID, you know, it would have been unthinkable. But now I can see people and talking to people saying, do you know, I, do, I really don't need a car like that. It's really curious how we've needed this, you know, dramatic lockdown to really change our understanding about what's okay and what isn't okay, not just for us as individuals, but for the planet. And I feel it's like it's really given us our connection back into the natural world. It is. It's a massive opportunity for big change at personal level and societal level and economic level. Everything is up for grabs. We shouldn't ignore the fact that it is um, the people who have been most vulnerable um, have been the ones that have suffered the most. So, again, it highlights the massive amount of inequality in the world. And I think that's what it's really brought up, those that, you know, I'm, I'm a privileged person to have, you know, live in a house with a garden, for instance, you know, and I don't have, I'm not living in a flat with four kids and a husband that beats me up, you know, and, and maybe this is, you know, when we have smaller communities, we can all start to keep an eye on each other again, like we used to. I think a lot of those neighbourly values are coming back in. I've seen so many examples of that. Massive opportunities for big change. Are you scared by this? Um, It's certainly, um, I mean, I've actually taken the time to just try and see into a crystal ball what's ahead and to try and be ahead of that curve and to anticipate it so that 
when the home truths do hit or the statistics or the realities of everyday changes come in, I'm prepared to some extent and anticipating what's around the corner is a huge part of reducing the element of fright or fear that many people are feeling. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that us sort of feel like they're in, well, we are in limbo, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're between worlds. And human beings aren't good with that. <laughs> no, they're not used to the liminal at all. And they're certainly in the liminal space. Not at all. You know, and I'm really curious about the liminal space because I, I do a lot of work with the liminal space, you know, in the deaf and dying work that I do. And, yeah. and, um, and, and I find this a very, very um, fert- fertile space, actually, if we allow it to be. But the way we have lived is so restricted. We're so used to being told what to do, aren't we? The economic system has been one of the main reasons that's happened, whether it's students who come out of their course and suddenly find themselves several thousand pounds in debt, or um, whether it's people who are still strapped down to a ridiculous mortgage and other companies that are making money out of money. All that has to realign itself very quickly it will find a natural way a natural order for doing that things do don't they sort of great big things sort of throw everything up in the air and all the cards are like all all over the place and then they they slowly land in a new picture and what can we rely on i mean is is technology steady we're here on laptops or whatever on zoom we don't know what the future for those companies is, so you know we may be back to a more feudal system before we know it of communication and, and a very local. We're blessed that we're at least able to uh, communicate with. I've heard some fantastic examples of Icelandic people making new best friends with Africans, and just an incredible sort of international network of connection, which our World Harmony event is also planning to, um, you know, to very much focus on that through lighting beacons around solstice and equinox when we can free up that tradition of lighting beacons to celebrate some some monarch's birthday you know or, or thing that happened 50 years ago this is about celebrating our human connection to each other and that's we're reclaiming the whole lighting beacons idea to very much focus on that yeah i love that idea because it sort of it re it connects us back to our ancient ancestors that's what the solstice is for me is this just you know the summer is firing up and what does that mean for us and I I love the idea of that I think that's absolutely just incredibly important with campfire really conscious that you created it in this sense of bringing people together as you said you are um, having to be really flexible with what's going on in the moment when you see campfire Let's say in a year's time, where is it going to be? What do you feel that you would like to have achieved by then? We'll grow very organically. So we have various concepts that have bubbled up, whether it's circle teams. So when the tech is the main focus, the tech circle team flashes or or lights more brightly. When it's about editorial for our site magazine, that's something we're focusing on. We've just tapped into a student course as well. So we'll be looking at how to bring student journalism through. So that's another example of the circle teams. There's a new Lighthouse for Learning, which is all about online courses and hopefully face-to-face courses as well, but imparting knowledge and wisdom. Um, there is a, an elders and mentorship scheme circle that we want to bring into life. 
a lot of them are still ideas and circle depictions that we throw out there. It's a float it out there, see what the interest is. Maybe the time isn't right for it. Maybe it is. So certainly the, the idea of circle teams is important, as is the beacons. So mm-hmm. for everyone lighting a physical beacon, whether it's in their back garden or if they manage to escape to um, an actual beacon on a hill in a park or whatever, then putting a pin in a map so we've tied the technology to the physical beacons um, and they become points of local organisation as well. So they're designed to promote the idea of people self-organising at local level. And Campfire will be involved in in promoting new forms of democracy at, at local level. Do you feel overwhelmed at times? Because <laughs> I'm complaining now. That's quite, okay, that's a vision. Well, I do find for every idea that comes from me, there's equally something that can be interpreted and remixed or reinterpreted and handed on to someone else. So my whole vision is about remixing, reinterpreting and how people can be empowered. Um, there could be a whole series of sub-businesses set up around Campfire, whether it's the Lighthouse for Learning, um, whether it's the podcasts and filmmaking side of our media Whatever it is, whether it's software, software work, development, the idea is to stimulate people so they can perhaps use Campfire as a, a launch pad or a, a central platform to come back to to promote their mm-hmm. ideas, but also meet people and collaborate with people. So mm-hmm. in a way, I try not to get too overwhelmed. Sometimes I have to put ideas on the back burner because I do wake mm-hmm. up sometimes at um, 4.44 or whatever time and think, oh, <laughs> Where's my notebook? <laughs> I think I rationalise it by saying this idea can be handed on rather than trying to be too possessive about ideas. And if those ideas bubble up elsewhere and create work and wealth and well-being for people, then that's great. I, I'm just really conscious of um, this sense of eldership you're talking about because you are an elder now. Anybody in my game who's in their 60s is an elder. And I think this is just an essential part of all our work now is to step, to step up into this eldership because we, we, we've, we sit on so much knowledge and wisdom that we can actually help and pass down and this sort of sense of mentoring as well, the youngsters to come up and actually take our place. And I just wondered what you felt about that. It's really important, and I think we've lost a sense of initiation as well. Certainly when I was growing up, you know, and the, <laughs> the clumsy way my, my dad told me about the uh, so-called facts of life or whatever, it was ridiculous, you know, and so very 60s when he did it. Oh, here's a record, son, listen to this. <laughs> um, and he didn't even follow it up. But I think to be promoting and to to be creating circles that um, that help with mentorship and the flow of ideas um, from one generation to another is so, is so important, has never been more so really at the moment. You know, it, it brings that sort of anxiety and fear down, doesn't it? Those levels of which, which sort of stop us and block us. And for me, when I'm sharing my fears or my anxieties or whatever it is about what's going on here, it really helps in this yeah. kind of sense of really sharing oh, I feel the same as that, or have you thought of this? Yes, it's very left brain, I guess, to try and look for solutions, but just the act of being able to share in itself is very cathartic and very healing. Really important to set up ways of doing that. 
Mm. I certainly experienced that with the death cafes, that especially since COVID, how people have really, really need to talk about what matters to them. I hate using the word spirituality these days because um, it's so overused, but sort of the real consciousness into how we are in this moment, who we are. Yes, and how we're listened to and heard and how we're held. Um, and that is a skill in itself. And I think people who are developing those skills as our health workers, are, there's a new, again, a new paradigm about what the really important jobs are. They aren't the ones where people make money from money. Isn't it funny how that's changed and suddenly carers are it? But let's hope for real lasting change rather than tokenism. So it's yeah. very easy for politicians to just offer vacuous words, which then... Yeah disintegrate or mean nothing and actually it is about value isn't it and it's about contributing and caring for others and in whatever even a gardener you know caring for the planet wouldn't it be lovely if they were really honored with financial reward for that i've been a great believer in universal basic income and we had a panel at our very first campfire event in 2016 before the site had been launched um, Brian Eno was one of our keynote speakers and he insisted on coming on the panel when he saw there was one on, um, which was great, that act of wanting to be part of something. No speakers at any of the campfire events have, have asked to be paid. You know, and that is really about service. But yeah, to come back to how we sustain ourselves, I think there has to be, um, that has to be inevitable to me. I can't see how the current doling out for self-employed is not working for all self-employed um furloughing is disappearing as well so there's going to have to be something that's much more universal and much more across the board and i think it would certainly teach those who are perhaps a bit less aware or a bit more arrogant about their earnings or their their wealth to be on the same payment as everyone else even if it would mean little to them with their billions and the fact they're receiving the same as someone who's been um, unemployed and perhaps even homeless. You know, it's finding ways of getting that token payment out to everyone so they can be freed up to at least know they've got something to exist on. And do something that ca- that they care about. Because I, I can't remember the statistic, but it was scary. It was something like 73% of people across the planet hate their job. That has to be what we should be aiming for doing something that you, you feel is really rewarding and worthwhile, even if it's artistic doodling, that whatever it is, that will create pleasure for someone. What would you say to somebody who said to you, how do I make this world a better place? I would say follow your heart, listen to what you really, what your calling is, find quiet space, find time to think about those around you, find ways to act on it but to to find that positivity to find that unique gift that's within every within all of us is the essence of mm. making the world a happier place but not having the the economic constraints which are all around us that stop everyone from being part of something that can free that up and those people who just sound too scared to do that it's hard to say have courage of your convictions because maybe they don't have the convictions or maybe they're in a a dark place mentally so it's the reassurance that people are there for them encouraging them to join community i think is is so important that's one thing campfire will will play its part in
I would love to get to a point where we're able to do the face-to-face again. How can we do that without hugging? It's, it's one thing that's been puzzling me. It's big challenging times for us, but I'd say community is at the heart of the way we go forward. Pete Lawrence, creator of Campfire Convention. And I'm particularly delighted that Pete will be broadcasting both series of Embracing Your Mortality on his new online light service radio station. You can find more about Pete, Campfire and the light service on campfireconvention.uk. My next guest is Duncan Still, a holistic and truly visionary GP with a passion for making a difference in how to support his patients to take responsibility for their own health and welfare. There are so many ways you can get it right, and I think it starts with being human rather than being a doctor. You've been listening to Embracing Your Mortality, and I look forward to you joining me again next time. You can find out more about me through my website, suebrain.co.uk. In the meantime, here's to us all living more consciously for a better world. The Embracing Your Mortality podcast was researched and recorded by Sue Brain and produced and edited by the Podcast Den.